This, 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 this is mythical. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to Ear Biscuits, the podcast where two lifelong friends talk about life for a long time. I'm Link. And I'm Rhett. This week at the round table of dim lighting, we're getting into part two of Sex Timber. In this episode mm-hmm. in particular, we are talking about what it's like to be two boys turning into men and all the confusion that comes along with that. Basically just, you know, you know, sexual stuff in the context of purity culture. We are not currently boys becoming men, but we're gonna go back well, and walk through our high school. You never really completely become that's, a man. That's true, especially after maybe some of the uh, criticism that was that, that came from last week's episode. I don't know, we're recording this before the before last week's comes out, so we're, there's some conjecture, but we're gonna talk through our high school experience and college experience leading up to, I don't know, I, I think leading up to but not including, our first time having sex, which for each of us was on our wedding night with our wives, well, unless there's something you- Wedding nights, we each yeah. have a wedding night. Yeah, you do. Unless there's something you haven't told me that maybe you'll tell me today. Did you lose your virginity? Is that even a thing? Hmm. Oh, well, teasing, that's a good teaser. Yeah, purity culture, we'll get into all that, we'll also describe what it is, but I mean, f- first, you should sing the theme song. Oh. Give it another chance. Okay, uh, I don't really. Sex I mean, Timber. If you like the idea of two straight cis white dudes talking about sex and the fact that they waited until they got married to have sex, and this is coming from a very particular perspective of these two dudes who are not trying to be prescriptive about all the stuff that they're saying. They're just kind of telling their story and trying to be honest about sex. If you're into that idea, tune in for September. It's happening now. Oh, that's good. That was good. I like that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, this is it. There's no real cadence or rhyme scheme. Uh, in fact, I don't think any of that rhymed. There weren't a lot of notes either. It, it's probably a, it's kind a, of probably a, a great note. metaphor for this entire exercise. Kind of pounding or the same I say note again and again. Exercise. Okay. I, I do want to say before we move into today's episode that having only recorded episode one, yeah, that was all about our, um, you know, first thoughts about sex. And then first getting the sex talk or not. And then moving into like our introduction to what sex was and how we kind of pieced that together. Well, I bet you they remember. Uh by the way, hashtag ear biscuits, continue to let us know uh what you think and also send us your sex questions or things you would like for us to discuss in episode after next. Yeah. Uh I gotta say I've been I've been struggling. Uh I've never been I've never been that honest about sex publicly. 
I've never, I've never told, I never have told anyone, maybe besides my own wife, the, the story of the first time I masturbated. Yeah. So there's, I, I was filled with, and still am a little bit like filled with this trepidation of having been so honest about it without really thinking about, you know, it, like, again, the whole point of this, this whole exercise is to just put another point on the perspective out there of two guys who come from this particular background. We're not trying to tell you what to think about anything. We're just telling you, this is our story. This is what we thought. But because we've never taken the time to be this honest or vulnerable about anything, that well, this this sort of you know about sex, something that is there's just so much stigma attached to it. Stigma, stigma attached to it, not only within uh, <laughs> Christian culture but just culture in general. Right. That I'm just I'm like man, even though we warn people and we continue to warn you, if you're uncomfortable with the idea of us talking explicitly about sex, do not listen to this. Do or, not. You know, because that is unless you unless happen. you're like yes, I want to be uncomfortable, but. Did I make people feel so uncomfortable who decided to listen that now they're forever, they forever see me differently or like I said something and I had no idea how it was gonna be interpreted. Again, I haven't seen the response yet. And so so I was literally sitting yeah. there that night thinking, oh man, should I just edit that? What I talked about how well, much I liked vagina. I need, <laughs> I need, to, we need, I gotta go back and take that out. I, I thought about a few things that I said and that you said and I, I lost a couple of winks of sleep over it. Um, I don't know, it's out there now, and it is what it is. Um, and uh, I think that, yeah, it, there is a bit of a fear of like, is something gonna come out wrong or have an unintentional uh, effect? Um, or is it is it gonna hurt somebody? Is it gonna gross somebody out? Is it gonna change someone's view of you well, or, yes. Yes, or me <laughs> in a way that like, I don't know that it that evokes elicits judgment. I think it's it's part of the fear too. It's like, oh, this now now he means this to to me. Like this is my opinion of him has changed. It could be me. It could be you. You know, but and it's probably me. I'm just concerned. So yeah, I have been concerned that uh, somebody might not know that. I don't know. I just don't know. I, you know, we can't see. Oh God! We, well, you, let's just let's just keep going. You just never know. We, you know, it's it, it's an interesting time. The thing that we want to do, as you said, is help to dismantle the stigma around having open, responsible adult conversations around the topic of sex, sexuality, and. Um, the good and bad and the ugly of it, but we're only we're only doing that through telling our experiences. And again, I hope that it will be two points of view for anyone listening to take into account. But never, I I never hope or expect that someone's just going to listen to what we say, even if we do give an opinion, and just say, "Okay, I I agree with that." Hook, line, and sinker. Right. You know, it's. I, I'm, and that's what that's I'm what, trusting. We the want process. that to be true of this podcast in general, but I'm tr I'm trying. It's a real test. I'm trying to trust the process, you know. But uh, and I do think that one of the things that we're trying to keep in mind, and we would love for you to keep in mind as well, especially as we get into talking about purity culture this week, is that um, 
You know, nothing that we're, we're actually trying to be conscious of this about ear biscuits in general, right? And especially, this is a note for me more than it's a note for Link because I tend to get, I tend to go into like prescriptive advice mode and I tend to go into like persuasion mode. It's my personality and, but I don't want, neither of us want this podcast to be about that. You know, this is not a well-researched podcast unless the research is the life that we have lived, right? Uh, this is kind of a, uh, this is a conversation between two friends that the internet is invited to be a part of. And so we speak from our perspective and we know that our perspective is specific as we said in the theme song, but also. We also know that our perspectives have evolved enough over time to, to reserve the right to change our minds and to continue to grow as people. Yeah, and even as we so talk about something like purity culture in the context of like evangelical, the way evangelicals think or we, we thought in that context about sex, we're not here to indict that. Now, some of the things that we say will be indicting because that's our perspective, but that's, that's not the po point is to be like, and here's why this is bad and that's the point of this episode. It's like, no. If you are doing your own research about what you think about sex and what you think about purity culture, here's another data point for you as we give our own personal perspective. But we're not trying to give our opinion. Uh, and I think that maybe in the fourth episode when we get into answering questions, we may get into a little bit more of like, well, okay, you asked me what I thought about this, I'm gonna tell you. Uh, but this, we're trying to kind of keep this centered around telling our story. Yeah, I do wanna lay the groundwork for what purity culture is. Um, lay it. So I'm just gonna lay that pipe. Yeah, there you go. Right now. So the purity culture is a, a 90s evangelical movement that discouraged dating and promoted virginity until marriage. And it did that through what I'll call gimmicks. Uh, purity pledges, purity rings, purity dances, like father-daughter dances. But they call them balls, actually, ironically. Purity balls. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's the only ball you can have, girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's a purity ball. Um, and th th there's, so it's, it's seeking to take what the Bible teaches about purity and sexual immorality and apply it especially to developing preteens and teens. And as it exploded on the scene in like the early 90s, we, it was directed at us. Like we, we fully experienced it as the target demo of, of purity culture. And the, the biblical roots of it, there's, there's, a couple of, there's a couple of teachings that that at least stand out for me in my memory, and as I like did a, did a little bit of dusting off the my my Bible on Google and a couple of articles, but there's this principle that your body is a temple of God, that God, in the form of the Holy Spirit, actually lives within with inside of each Christian, and so a pledge of chastity to remain a virgin until you get married uh, is is a form of uh, allegiance and or love for God and worship of God. And saying, okay, my body is 
like God's living with inside inside of me. There was there's there, there's places where uh, Paul talks about if you take if you take your body and then you go to a and you unite with a prostitute. If you have sex with a prostitute, you're basically bringing God into that equation, and that is not a good thing. That is a that is a sinful thing. So that's that's the first part of it. Is that there's this God's within inside of you. Don't do anything that is is wrong because you're you you're bringing God along for the ride. I guess no pun intended. The second point is that. When it comes to sex, there's this mis they never use the term mystical. That's how I would describe it now, but I'm gonna describe it as a there's a mystical component to sex where um you have a you a soul bond with somebody that you actually have sex with. Um in Genesis it talks about uh the two shall become one flesh, talking about Adam and Eve. Like th- th- that's the reason why uh, you should leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife or husband. And so when you get married and when you consummate that marriage in sex, there is some some mystical joining. Your souls are literally in- intermingling. And then you got Paul talking about things like, well, and apparently the soul goes directly through the penis into the vagina. I mean, just to be frank about and it. Maybe one comes how out. Else, how I else think, does it happen? I think the female soul comes out of the vagina and then they like become become one. The two shall become one. Yeah, well, I was just speaking from the male perspective, but I, I, yeah, I think it goes both ways. And of course, all of this is within the context of a heterosexual Relationship only, right? You know, maybe that goes without saying in, in terms of talking about this evangelical movement, but uh, I, I wanted to point that out too. So there's there are these biblical teachings that, again, in the same way that when we talked about our deconstruction episodes, there was this there's this foundational principle of you're you're born sinful and separated from God, and you're destined for hell unless you accept Jesus' payment for your sins, his death and resurrection on your behalf so that then you can have uh, an active relationship with God and eternal life with him and escape hell. So that foundational principle of hell is in, in within the purity culture, There's it's that is akin to once you have sex with somebody, you're, you're you're giving up a part of yourself. You're doing something that separates you from God and dan- and potentially, or I don't think the takeaway was that it was potential, it was that it was actually damaging to you for giving up that part of yourself. And so that's kind of like the the biblical underpinning as far as, far as I remember it, but there was also, um, you know a lot of practical motivations the 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 people who came up with this movement and then it went through the southern baptist with uh, with all the, the the purity events and rings and all of that marketing stuff it was, th- these are these are children of the 60s of the sexual revolution and then you've got aids is i mean within a certain demographic 
a lot of people are dying from AIDS and there's STI, other STIs floating around and teen pregnancy is, is a shocking problem that people just wanna get a handle on it. So it was a confluence of taking biblical teaching about purity and combining it with things that we wanted to they our parents wanted to protect their children from and being informed maybe by the sexual revolution and just saying okay if from a practical standpoint if i can keep my kids from getting an sti or um becoming pregnant and we as just a called teen, it we just called it a std yeah um, we did we didn't even call it what hadn't even happened yet so protecting them from that protecting them from uh unwanted pregnancy teen pregnancy and also protecting kids from heartbreak that goes to all the way to the core of your soul. I mean, it, it, it felt to us as we were experiencing this teaching, it, had, it carried just as much weight as going to hell or not, or almost as much. That, that's well, what I'm saying. And I think that it was, um, for most Christian teens, it was the most applicable sort of moral teaching because, you know, let's let's face it, not a lot of Christian kids were doing drugs. I mean, some of them were, but the, it was easier, it was much easier to avoid drug use, even alcohol use, than it was to ignore the constant horniness that we were all experiencing. Right. You know, this is something, you don't wake up every single day and be like, I, I need LSD, you know, it's like, but you do wake up yeah. every morning, uh, well, sometimes literally, you know, with an erection, <laughs> you know? So it's like, you're you're faced with this desire on a constant uh, basis, and so, I, yeah, I, I think what you're getting at is that, and also you said the 90s, I think that obviously, the idea oh, it, of purity had it, been around for a while, but it it took on a new focus and structure. There was a marketing effectiveness. There was a marketing plan that was launched yeah. in the early '90s that had a, with the purity ring and the purity pledge and the purity balls. All that stuff happened then. And get what you're getting at with the the sort of the complexity of this whole thing, which I think will kind of come out as we keep talking about it and how we think about it now, and especially. Oh, newsflash, hey, we're bringing uh, our wives in. Uh, Kiko, we haven't yet told you this, we're bringing them in via a phone call, which we'll work out the tech on that, not to freak you out right now, but the, the wives episode. will be coming in next episode uh, via the phone. And- um, We're gonna give them a ring. We will uh, maybe begin to explore this, but this is it. Th there's a lot of complexity to this because all of religion and all of sort of religious framework for the most part is still designed, like the people who are adhering to it and the people who are trying to implement it in their families and with their children, most people are doing it out of a, of a motivation of love and what they believe is right. Most everyone is motivate, motivated by doing what they actually think is right, even right. though their actions may be interpreted as hateful and they may be hateful and they may be harmful, they don't see it as hate and they don't see it as harmful. They see it as this is the best good and this is what society should have. And so. And in obedience to God, it's not something that in right. their minds they're making up, even though there's certainly a lot of extrapolation beyond what the Bible actually says to what the practices they put in place. I mean, there's no purity ball ring or pledge in the Bible, uh, but there's, you know, concepts like 
losing your virginity, um, and a lot of analogies came out of the movement in order to get these, what I'll call good-hearted results. Like it's good-hearted motives to get good results, but you've got these like analogies like rose petal, like pulling the petals off a rose petal in order to help middle school kids understand what happens when you are deflowered. You're deflowered. And you can't put those petals back on that flower. No, you can't. And who who else would want that flower? That flower's ruined. I mean, analogies like chewed up gum. Mm-hmm. Who wants to who wants to rechew chewed up gum? These are actual things that were and techniques that were taught. In almost order to help. always, these analogies refer to the woman, which is very common. It is the woman who suffers the brunt of purity culture and she's the one that is the flower and she's yeah. the one that's the chewed up gum. There's a double standard yeah. um, and the, the, the principle of whatever you do with someone that you're dating and that you don't marry, you're robbing your future mate of that mm-hmm. experience um, and that ultimately there's this message of if you do something you shouldn't do, then you're damaged goods. and. There were, and then maybe, you know what? And you know what? That's why Jesus died, and you're forgiven, and you need to experience grace, and you need to, and you can move forward. But it's kind of like when you say part A, that tends to stick in your mind a lot more than the grace part B does. And I think that ultimately, a lot of people, and I, we can talk about our own experiences. There's a, a takeaway of fear of something happening spiritually, physically, or otherwise, and shame associated with everything that is act, that you're actually dealing with and trying to discover and develop through. So I, I, I will say that there's, a, there's an entire spectrum of people who grew up like we did under purity culture who have now landed in different places about how grateful they are for it or how damaged they are by it. And, and, and so I, I just wanna acknowledge that that maybe that there could be some really ugly parts of it, and then there there can be some parts that are really uh, that could be helpful, and it and it varies from person to person. And I feel like I'm I'm somewhere in the middle on that spectrum. You know, I've experienced some good and some bad, but I know that it's been a lot worse for other people. And some people, it's, uh, they maybe they still swear by it. I guess. Um, the one thing I'll add to that before we get into you know talking about our stories, um, is that I do th- while these are two points on our perspective, I do think that there is some c- compelling sort of holistic uh, data in the like how how effective is it in telling kids these things and trying to get kids to adhere to these things when you think about. It it could be some other correlation that I don't understand, but I do find it interesting that a lot of these places where culturally purity culture is very, very strong, where there's a sort of an evangelical stronghold, uh, tend to be places where there are also high rates of teen pregnancy and STDs or SDIs. Uh, you know, whereas a lot of places that kind of take a little bit more of a secular approach where there's a lot of sex education and there's birth control, those places in sex, you know, in protected sex, those places tend to be like the Northwest. There's less teen pregnancy and STIs in the Northwest than there is in the Southeast. You know, so the studies are out there. 
Uh, yeah, again, that's not the it, point of what we're talking about, but I just wanna make, I think what you're, what you're ultimately saying, which I agree with, is that we're not here to say that every single thing about it was bad. We're gonna give you our perspective and talk about the ways that we may have been damaged and the way that we may have escaped some damage, whether or not right. we still adhere to any of those beliefs, the, the, the sort of the spiritual underpinning, as we've made clear on this podcast before, we're, we're, we are not Christians. We do not call ourselves Christians anymore. We do not subscribe to the ideas of purity culture. We do not have a biblical, uh, I do not have a biblical worldview when it comes to sex, and that's not what I teach my children, but, you know, I and I it's complex. Yep, I'm coming from the same place. I I do want to take a second, just off topic. Bear with me. Uh, we're celebrating the 20th season premiere of Good Mythical Morning. Yeah, we are. Um, and we're doing that, giving you a chance to win twenty thousand dollars. So it's it. We're doing the Golden Tea of Mythicality giveaway again. So that's starting today as this episode comes out of Ear Biscuits. So we got three big prizes. Uh, there's a, a mythical mystery box filled with rare, unusual, and one-of-a-kind items. A virtual taste test with us is the second prize. And then the third prize is a sign check for $20,000 in honor of season 20. Uh, giveaway starts off today, runs through 917. Uh, only US and Canadian beasts are eligible to win, so just like last year, we're offering a $5 discount on the silver tea exclusively for mythical beasts outside of the US and Canada. So go out, buy the golden tea, well, buy the silver tea of mythicality and you're automatically entered. Uh, you can also uh, find out all the other ways you can enter go by going to mythical.com, no purchase necessary, void prohibited. See if you can get that golden tea of mythicality in 20 grand. Uh, also, we're doing something uh, interesting this month using the Facebook live audio tool which is a new tool that allows you to have a live conversation as people kind of listen in. We're gonna be talking to some celebrity fathers about fatherhood, about parenthood, and some of the lessons they learned, maybe exploring some different aspects of that, some things that we've learned over the course of being fathers for 18 and 17 years. Mm -hmm. uh, so look out for that. That's gonna be over on the, the Mythical Facebook page. Yeah, check it out. Ear Biscuits is supported by Superfeet. Did you know that more than 75% of Americans will experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10% will seek out a solution for that pain? Well, guess what? Your feet don't have to hurt. When you add the signature orthotic shape of Superfeet insoles to your shoes, you give your feet comfort and support where they need it most, helping redistribute forces to reduce stress and strain on your entire body, not just your feet. Superfeet insoles are clinically proven to decrease fatigue, reduce injury, and improve comfort. Since 1977, Superfeet has helped millions of people worldwide experience the life-changing magic of comfy, pain-free feet. Superfeet insoles upgrade the fit, feel, and function of your footwear to help you feel your best. The signature orthotic shape of Superfeet gives your feet the right type of support where you need it most. Physicians not only recommend Superfeet to their patients, they wear Superfeet insoles in their own shoes. Superfeet is the number one doctor worn and recommended insole. Superfeet has thousands of five-star reviews and is the insole of choice for top athletes on the field, on the ice, and on the slopes and everywhere in between. Superfeet has a wide range of insoles for every activity, every shoe, and every foot. From cushioned and flexible to firm and supportive, you can dial in your fit by taking their quick online quiz. We took the quiz, we've got our, mm -hmm. our insoles coming, they're on their way. You just answer a few short questions and Superfeet will recommend the best insole choice for you. Visit superfeet.com 
and enter the promo code EAR at checkout for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. So last time we ended up kind of talking about essentially the process of going through puberty, becoming sexually mature, and what was happening with us and how we were beginning to understand what sex was. Going into high school, uh, I think I speak for both of us when I say that we both did understand what sex was. I did, yes. And uh, we're very enticed by the idea of it. But the other thing that was happening was we were getting very serious about our Christian faith. Like that was something that was happening, um, you know, we didn't, I didn't get, you got the pamphlet, I didn't get the talk, but what I did get was my parents were, you had me in church and they had me in a youth group and they had a good idea of what was being taught in said youth group. And yeah. they were talking, our youth pastors were talking, you know, pretty directly and explicit, not explicitly, but directly about sex. And so it wasn't like we were just walking around having no idea what we were supposed to be doing. Were, they were going, they were taking the the, the steps to, connect what was being said in the Bible with like, okay, but th what does this mean for 1990 kids? And and we were just soaking it up. It was very much don't have sex until you get married. And here are the reasons why a lot of, which I've already gone over. I remember we talked about, but then how far is too far? You know, we'd be given books and we'd have conversations about, well, you, and it would be analogies like, well, don't, you know, if don't get so close to the edge of a cliff that you might fall off. You want to stay back from that cliff a good number a good number of yards at least in order to protect yourself from what what might what might be near that cliff, which would be an I guess an accidental falling over. And the campaign around and so it was like don't do anything if you can help it. But the campaign around like keeping you from the act of sex you covered a lot of that with sort of the spiritual stuff and sort of the biblical framework that was added on. I would say the other piece of this is something that uh, was very common, which is there was this sort of information or might I say misinformation that was added onto it from a practical perspective. Things like condoms are not effective, right? Like. It, it, it wasn't like, okay, well condoms are like 99% effective when used properly. It was like, no, 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 no. Condoms are not effective. Condoms are not the answer. In fact, the HIV virus can, which is repetitive, it's like saying ATM machine, I understand, go, could go through, right through a condom because it's so small. Th things like that that are actually not true that you, you begin to absorb, you're like, well, my friends are my friends are having sex using condoms, but I already know that like basically they might as well they might as well be having sex without condoms because I know that those are not effective. Like it was that sort of misinformation that began to take place. Uh, even things, and this is a little bit later that we started getting this information, but the idea that even the birth control pill was capable of inducing abortions. Do you remember this? Oh yeah. Um, I actually held on to this belief well into even the beginning of our marriage. It's the reason that Jesse didn't go on birth control pills was because it would present it would prevent, prevent implantation. The implantation of the fertilized egg and in since, the wall of the placenta. And since life began at conception, pre the prevention of implantation of a fertilized egg in the lining of the uterus 
that itself is a form of abortion, which is murder, right? That was, so. I didn't have to worry about that until I was married. Uh, we were about, to, we were engaged, but then I real I went to the library. Like I started reading things. That's the only time I've gone to the library and pulled out medical books and read stuff and talked to my, and then took that to my pastor at the time. And basically, I was just losing a lot of sleep over that. Yeah. And just wait, you know, just trying to get my pastor to tell me, you know what? It's actually, you can go on birth control. It's okay. Right. Uh, we, but we didn't. We used we didn't condoms either. for a long time in, in our, in our marriage. Yeah. We, that's all we used in, up until like a few years ago when we got, I got a vasectomy because by that point it was like, what, you going to go on the pill now? Exactly. Man, yeah, we, the reasons changed, but. We, we waited all that, to, but we waited so long to have sex without a condom. That's yeah. The other I, well, we can come back. An, to another that. thing. Another thing was the idea that uh, if you have sex with somebody, you're having sex with everyone that they've ever had sex with. You know, in terms yeah. of, uh, and that's just not a purity culture thing. That's like a '80s and '90s sort of sexual education thing, um, which is not exactly true. <laughs> I mean, th there's these cultural constructs of virginity in general that aren't just an evangelical or a Christian thing. That's like you know. Uh, I guess it you could you could f care about that I, it can make sense that like oh I want the first person I want it to you want it to be special you want it every I think everybody would want their first sexual experience to be be special and meaningful definitely not uh a negative experience but also it it seems kind of sweet for it to be at in the least sweet to be their first and your first, or you know, if you have certain opinions about it, it's like I don't want to. I don't want to be any. I don't want to be second to anybody. But the but purity culture really leaned into that because it said that like God is there and this 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 is ir it's implied that it's irreparable. Yeah, that there's some sort of damage that is going to be lasting. My application to this, as you getting back to what you were saying with the. You know, well, where do you draw the line? Like, how do you do this? Because we weren't at that point. We'll talk about once we got to college, it got even more explicit and straightforward in terms of being advised as to what you should do and what you shouldn't do. We were still a little bit on our own. We knew we shouldn't have sex and we knew that it was, they would say, it's like lighting a candle. It's like lighting a fuse. And once you light the fuse, the bomb is going to explode, right? So don't even light the fuse. Meaning like kissing. Right, well. Or that was what I'm saying. Or it was, it, potentially dating. It was up to your own interpretation at that point. Yes. For me, I did a little bit of like internal thinking on this, and um, I came up with my own standard. And my own standard was it was okay. It feels like um, I can't get AIDS from boobies, and I can't get a girl pregnant by messing with her boobies. <laughs> Um, now, I also want to preface this with the fact that I did not have a lot of opportunity. As much as I liked women, I did not have a lot of success with actually convincing any of them to be in a relationship with me. There was, a, you know, it happened a few times, but it wasn't like I was a Casanova by any means. But in the few relationships that I did have in high school, I think, and again, it's implied, but I'll say it just because consent was always a part of this. It was not something that was doing to someone. It was something that we were doing together. But I think that a lot of the girls may have been like, wow, 
he's really into boobies. He must be a boob man. <laughs> and it's like, well, I'm not really. You know, I mean, I like him. I'm not a boob man. That was you going all the way. But it was like, all that's, your way. That's, as, that's as much sex as I could have at the time. And so there was a lot of focus on the boobies. <laughs> Probably excessive. Uh, but it was because I had drawn this imaginary line at the waist. Okay. And that was my that was my application to that. But you weren't having conversations with your girlfriends to to like like about those boundaries? No, at that point I wasn't saying that. And it was a it was certainly a corrective hey, thing you know, from I'm what not you... really I'm not really a boob man, but I'm gonna seem like one. <laughs> I wasn't having those conversations. But this was a this was a tightening up of your of your standards from yeah. the previous episode. Yeah, I had done more at a church lock in than I was willing to do later once once my own personal standards started I started like kind of waking up and saying oh no I'm I'm heading down the wrong road apartments.com has more rental listings than anywhere else so finding the perfect place is easier than ever and so is finally moving in together just the two of you it's a big step lots of new responsibilities lots of adjustments most likely they'll wake you up at odd hours to go to the bathroom and you'll most definitely find yourself in trouble coming home late for dinner they may even unroll all your toilet paper next time it's just what happens when you two find a new place together but you're not doing it because you feel like it. No, you're doing it because you love them, because they're family. And that's why Apartments.com has more pet-friendly rental listings on the internet. Did you know that's what we were talking about? Yes. Pets. So that you and your furry family can find the perfect new place together. Apartments.com, the place to find a pet-friendly place. We were really tight with our, our youth group within our church and then we go to high school and we all start you know, dating people but you know the people from our youth group and like there's like this, oh, they're, they're keeping an eye on us, we're keeping an eye on them. There's like this built-in accountability like, well you know that we were kind of all praying together at our church meeting and like agreeing that like, yeah, true love waits and we're gonna stay as far away from temptation and sexual immorality as we can. So there were other people from other other schools and other churches and who, who were doing different things. And it was easy to say, we're not like them. We are, we're gonna serve, we're gonna serve God. We're gonna, we're, we're serious about this. And if you really love God and he's inside of my body, like, like, I need to. I need I need to honor that, and I'm serious about it. And we were serious about it. We increasingly so. I mean, when we started the band, the Wax Paper Dogs, it was a Christian rock band. We would we would like preach from the stage, like give an invitation. All the songs were written about uh, your relationship, our relationships with God, in very in one form or another, in very weird ways, in very but weird. Yes. 90s alternative rock ways. But we kind of set ourselves up first with the youth group and then and the mission trips we would go on and just our identity was very wrapped up in our our Christianity and then in in being in a band and inviting all of our friends to our concerts by the time we were in our junior year of high school I mean we kept holding ourselves to higher and higher standards. We couldn't be going around having sex with our girlfriends because it would have no been way. super hypocritical. But what we super could do and what I was doing regularly was masturbating, right? Which again, we had not really started to talk about. Now what we what we 
What we did know is that, you know, Jesus said that even when you just look upon a woman with lust, you might as you basically have had sex with her in, in your mind, like you're guilty in the same, and so Christians take that verse, which I did not quote, I just paraphrased, and they say basically this is why masturbation is wrong because in order to masturbate, there's gotta be a lustful sort of seed of a thought that you're acting upon, right? And so masturbation is seen as sinful in most especially back in the day, but most Christian circles. So, and then when it's when it's something that's wrong, it's something that needs to be confessed because anytime you sin, you are putting you're building a barrier between you and God. That then the way you remove that barrier is you you confess your sin, you acknowledge, yes, I did this. I mean, in Catholic circles, they'll go to a priest in the closet or whatever they call it. But we would just do it in the privacy of our own bedrooms every night before I'd fall asleep. I would say, all right, I need to clear the slate of everything I did that I know of, and I'll also confess the stuff that I don't even know I did, just blanket confession, in order to remove any of that barrier so that I can still have a relationship with God. And so that, and then I guess that starts to bleed into so that I can be good or so that I can experience the benefits of I mean, that. I'm, what are, I, I, I wasn't, whatever I that wasn't is. making those connections as much as I was just like, you, sh- you shouldn't be doing this and you should feel guilty and shameful when you do it. To the point that I actually remember writing on my ceiling, a popcorn ceiling yeah. in my room, and I was able to write on my ceiling in pencil. As I'm lying in bed, I can look up and see it, and I wrote, you better not. Really? Yeah. You better not. You better not. Masturbate and <laughs> didn't write masturbate because I knew that's what I was talking about. <laughs> and I so did that work? Hell no, it didn't work. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it would. Here's the you thing. Better not. I was. This is where we're gonna talk a little bit about shame because the thing that was happening for me is that you begin to operate in secrecy because at this point, we'll talk about college in a second. But at high school, we were not confessing to each other or other people about masturbation, we were just struggling with it on our own, feeling horrible, like the moment that you're done, the clarity that comes, right? Comes is probably not the right word. The clarity that arrives. Um, I guess there's an evolutionary reason for that that's like, oh, you better get your wits about you and just be ready to defend yourself. Yeah. Or something. but the clarity that arrives in that moment, get the hell out when you're an evangelical Christian or just someone who does believes that masturbation is wrong, that's where the guilt comes in. That's where the shame comes in, and you keep it to yourself, and then you go back to the struggle, and it hits you like a like a brick. You feel horrible. It's like it's like back up the truck, and I mean sometimes you get to a point where it's like you, I mean you would know it's you're just seconds away from just being hit with the shame and guilt of it. it yeah, well, but it wasn't, I mean, and then that might be enough to say, I'm pro- I, I would say, I promise I'm never gonna do, I'm never gonna do it again. I don't want this to be the reason that we're, that I can't talk to you, God, and that I, I, I love you more than this. But like, what you're th- beginning to principle. do, what you're beginning to do is you But then a few days later, here, here we are again because it was well, it was way, such. It's biological. That's what happens. Yeah, that, that's an, why you're back there, not because something's wrong with you, but because it's an irresistible, instinctual draw. You're a human with sexual desire now, and you're also of an age when, from an evolutionary standpoint, you would have been 
using these tools to to <laughs> propagate the population. I mean, that's just the, his, the biological history of but it. But we didn't have any tools to to cut ourselves any slack because there was no communication. The only person I was confessing it to was God. Yeah. And then I knew that there was grace and forgiveness technically, but I just but I knew what it what it meant. I it, think the bigger thing that was happening I think to God. The 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 thing that became became a long-term thing that I feel like is still a part of my brain today is that in a you, you know, I, I read an article recently, I'll make the connection to this in a second, about some urologist was saying, here's why you shouldn't pee in the shower. I was like, well, okay, I pee in the shower on a pretty regular basis, let me read this. <laughs> and he was like, the reason you shouldn't pee in the shower is because you're basically reinforcing this Pavlovian response of feeling water on your body or hearing the sound of water making you wanna pee, and so this is gonna become more difficult because you're associating this sensation with needing to release the pee. Uh -huh. I don't think that's that big of a life problem. If you hear running water and you need to pee, I think you'll be okay. But when you think about when you are masturbating. Thank you for letting me off the hook with that. When you statement. are ma masturbating in this uh, purity culture framework, what you're doing is every single time that you are experiencing sexual pleasure, you are heaping the most intense portion of shame that you have it is available to you onto that and associating shame and sex together. Well, and that would, is not something that you easily get rid of. No, well first of all I'll say, now it makes a whole lot more sense why whenever I hear running water I jerk off. Right, exactly, uh-huh, that's what I was hoping you would make that I connection. mean, the shower is the place to be. Well. At least at first, I mean that was what, that like, my mom's not gonna walk in the shower and catch me. Right. And so I was really concerned about that, especially after leaving the Victoria's Secret out last week. But soap, I mean, in you last but you, you don't want to get soap. You don't want to get soap in the urethra. That can cause problems. Yeah, if you were ta if if we were trading notes, I could have learned that the easy way. <laughs> the other, but but the point that you're making is that yeah, you asso you associate shame with with that with that experience with with a pleasure and also an exercise in self-discovery. You know, masturbation is an important part of self-discovery that leads to empowerment of and control of yourself whenever you're, you start to engage sexually with somebody else. It's like you, you know what works and you, first of all, you don't require anybody else. There's a, there's a line in the first Wonder Woman movie that basically says that. You know, I don't have to have a man to experience pleasure. Mm -hmm. I don't know how exactly she said it, but I was like, I, I love the fact that she, that, that was a part of the movie. Ear Biscuits is supported by the farmer's dog. Dogs will eat basically anything you put in front of them. And if you're Barbara, you will like <laughs> seek it out off of tables, counters. That, that woman is crazy, <laughs> uh, that woman being my dog. Uh, so it's important to be putting the right kind of food in their bowls. Right, and when you care about your dogs as much as we care about ours, you know, a thoughtful approach to what goes in those bowls makes sense. Yes, the farmer's dog is real, fresh, healthy food with whole meat and veggies gently cooked in human-grade kitchens to preserve their nutritional value. 
Just tell them about your dog and they'll deliver personalized vet developed recipes for as little as $2 a day. The meals arrive pre-portioned and in ready to serve packs delivered on your schedule. Millions of meals have been ordered across the country. We've been partnering with the Farmer's Dog for a few years now and they really are as good as they say. It really has never been easier to invest in your dog's health with fresh food. Get 50% off your first box of fresh healthy food at thefarmersdog.com slash ear. Let's keep going. There's there's more masturbation talk to be had, but yeah, yeah. Well, the other continue to point that you're making now about it. Well, the the other P, I mean, there, obviously there are some neurological things that I don't fully understand that are happening as well when you're associating so much shame with sex. You're 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 putting things into your brain that you can't just get rid of. It's not it. it there's a physical manifestation happening in your brain tissue when you do those kinds of things. But the other thing that was happening was I was continuing to look at porn. And um, that this is an inch. There's an interesting evolution of what was happening just with porn and the internet in general that we happened to live through. Like as we were literally maturing and going through adolescence, the nature and the availability of porn was going through. Like we were right in sync with these monumental changes that you had to be. You basically had to be about 43, 44 years old in order to relate to this, mm-hmm. because it was very clearly just physical magazines that you had to have a source. You had, in the go, woods. you had to go to the woods, you had to go to the grok and work for a dollar an hour to just look at porn in the bathroom. You had to find the porn. But then in high school, there were a few rich kids who had computers that had an internet connection. And at this point, you, you basically could look at pictures, not videos, talking the mid 90s, pictures of porn on the computer. And now you had to have a friend, which we had a mutual friend, I'm not gonna name him, and I don't know if you ever partook, but he was my source for both additional porn mags that I would, he would be like, I'm done with this one. I would take it, I would take it home, I would put it under my mattress, now I had porn like on standby in my own bed. Oh. In the bed where the on the ceiling it Don't says you, you better do not it. you better, you better not, not <laughs> you better not pull that porn out that your friend gave you. But the other thing that I, I bet now it was had, like the princess and the pea. You could feel that porn just under that mattress, man. Well, I could put the magazine in front of the you better not <laughs> and just look at the boobies and not have to worry about the you better not. I eventually the, I did. I, a, I never got any of this. Like it you was know, never offered to me, and I never asked for it, and I never, I never got it. Well, and we never talked about it. I was, well, I, was I was ashamed of I was, it, but yeah, I, I was going, you know. I mean, we looked at porn together at the Grok, but yeah, I, I don't know. Well, we, that, at that point, we kind of took turns in the bathroom. No, yeah, so but, not really. But at that point, we were a little bit more serious about things, and this friend yeah. was not a Christian, right. and you couldn't tell me because I would be like, you got, you, you better not. Yeah. But you the better but not. the thing but then his computer which it it was funny cuz it wasn't like we went to a website. I don't think I understood what a website was in like 1994. But what I did understand is he was like I've got this folder of all the pictures that I've downloaded. Because you had to wait a freaking fi- And he didn't wait, have any shame about it. You had to wait five to seven minutes. He was minutes like, I'm done with this, or hey, here's my folder, right? To get a high-res picture, you had to wait five to seven minutes and it would like slowly unfold but oh, there's the nipples, okay. Like a dot matrix There's printer. the bottom of the booby. All right, how long is it gonna take to get to the vagina? 
You know, it's like. Because I'm waiting for it. Because you know that's what I'm waiting for because that's what I'm about. Yes, right. <laughs> I think I established that in the first episode, but that wasn't good enough. So he's like, listen, I've gone through the trouble of downloading all these. You can just look at them. And um, sometimes he would be there and sometimes he knew I needed my own time. Oh gosh. Now, but I did not, no, to be clear, just, you know, you might already think I'm a freak and a creep, but I did not then masturbate at this dude's house, just so you know. <laughs> I just kind of took these images in my and implanted them in my brain and then took them uh, back home. But that okay. there was a lot of that happening, like seeking out those opportunities, which were still, we live in a completely different world now where you have access to it and it's, it's explicit and it's any sort of flavor that you want and it's on your phone at any time, which, we'll get into like what that might mean and what that might be doing to society or our opinion on that. At this point, it was still difficult to access, but it was still this thing that I was like, I wasn't in any relationships where I was sexually active. I wasn't gonna do that with an actual woman for two reasons. Number one, I didn't have much opportunity and number two, I was pretty good at holding myself to the not below the belt standard in any relationships I was in, but it felt different. I was like, well, I can go and kind of literally release a lot of this tension by looking at porn and masturbating and so that's what I kept doing even though I felt horrible every time it happened. For me in high school, I mean, I I was I was just frightened of conducting myself in in a dating relationship. And so I, I never worried about I might have sex with some girl. I knew that wasn't gonna happen. But even the physical relationship, it was kinda like a, high school was kinda like a reset for me. The few girls that I dated right at the beginning, I was just so in my own head, like I couldn't kiss them. I got dumped because I didn't wanna, wanna, wanna kiss a girl who really wanted to kiss me. Mm-hmm. Um, I did eventually dabble in physical relationship with I, I guess a couple of girls I dated and it it was a cycle of is this okay? Do I feel guilty? I'm just gonna confess to God anyway. But it wasn't I would I just wasn't I still I still was had so much trepidation that it overrode most of my drive. Mm-hmm. I got in a serious relationship my senior year of high school and that's that's when, I mean, it's like we were in love with each other and it was really serious and it was going really well and um, then within the safety of that relationship, all of the our physical relationship progressed and um, yeah, it progressed further and further and we, of course we were in the we were in the band we were preaching from stage we we would talk as a band when we get together and rehearse we would have like basically accountability and if you're if you're not from the evangelical movement you hear that word and you know what it means but it means something more specific within our world it's a little it's more systematic and it involves saying like there's you you say what you need help with and then you basically when you get together with your accountability partners then they start to, they'll ask you questions you've given them permission to ask you questions about it to hold you accountable that you're keeping your commitments you better not so i have to think well i don't know if we talked about masturbation in those meetings 
I I don't think we did. I don't think we were comfortable enough. But we it, yeah. talked about like I'm struggling in my relationship with my girlfriend. Like I want to make sure that like I'm honoring God. And we were just so serious and we had we had put ourselves out there that like if 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 we were hypocritical, then it might ruin someone's chances of coming to coming to Jesus. And we were very serious about it. And I brought that into this very serious dating relationship. Mm-hmm. But we were making out and trying to just stop it at that. So, so my line was at the collarbone. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. That's where my line. You should line, have asked me where the line could be. That's where my line was and. The I, line has a tendency to move down, I will I, say that. I remember we, we were having conversations but you had had girlfriends earlier and then your, the well kind of dried up for you like by senior year, you weren't dating anybody, right? Not senior year, and we so, junior year, yeah, but not we, senior year. I remember we would we would hang out in the Walmart parking lot, and we would talk about like we would talk about the like the hypocrisy that's on the line. We would encourage each other to be chaste, and yeah. you were like, "Man, I've you know." You would talk. I think you would talk about your line, and you would tell me about some of the things that you had done. And then we would encourage each other not to do those things. And then within the band, we were really we were trying to do that too because the band was kind of on the line in this. If I screw up, literally, in my with my girlfriend, does the band fall apart? You know, and does my relationship with God fall apart? We, de- I mean, one thing I will say about us. Um, is that we we have always been, and I actually think this is the thing that drove our deconstruction. Um, we have always been pretty concerned about truth and integrity. Like it, you know, uh, it's it's it is something that has the idea of saying this and doing something that was different and not representative of that thing was something that we couldn't really live with. So it was yeah. it wasn't just this sort of pressure of the culture that we were in because listen there were lots of christian kids who were part of that same culture and were like guys you actually you mean you take you you literally take this seriously i'm screwing my girlfriend i mean of course i know i'm not supposed to but i'm not going to not do it but we were like oh, no no you like you can't do that thing cuz it's wrong and you're not supposed to do it and it would ruin your witness if you were to if you were to do it and i don't hold i mean i think that that's that's a I'm I'm proud of us in that way. Yeah. Um because I think that we took it very seriously. It was the framework that we had committed to and it came with consequences and it came with standards that were you were supposed to follow. You know? And at certain points they felt impossible. I mean and so there were there were times when when I if you're making out with your girlfriend, when I was making out with my girlfriend, it would get you know, it your the collarbone body, gets old. Your body kind of takes over because right. your body is telling you what it wants, and you can find yourself doing things that it's 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 almost like an out of body experience, especially when it is such an existential crisis. Mm-hmm. Like you're, I'm I was making out with my girlfriend, and I was having this internal conflict, and I felt like it was Satan versus. The Holy Spirit, and it was don't do don't do this. That the cycle of shame um, with masturbation would happen in our relationship whenever we would cross a line. Hmm. But we were so infatuated with each other that we kept we we would make rules. Keep doing it. We we would 
like we're not going to touch each other. And then it's like it was just hard to keep your hands off. Well, of sometimes each other. they don't. I mean, setting that boundary and drawing those lines, it, it's human nature to then go and cross the lines. So on a physical level, it was a complete struggle and so frustrating. But on a spiritual level, it was just as much anguish, if it definitely more, hmm. because. Every night after I was hanging out with my girlfriend, it would just be like, all right, I've gotta confess and make these promises to God and to myself. And um, it it got to, our, our relationship continued through my freshman year in college. So every weekend, you know, we'd, we'd make sure we spent time together. And it, it was just, I, I look back on it and I just feel so sorry for us because we, it became this obsession. Like we, we were motivated to, to, to connect, <laughs> but yet, and we had all these struggles and we would slip up and we'd go too far. And then, you know, I would be like, I, I'm not only sinning against my own body and God, but I'm, I, I feel like I should be stronger and I should keep, now I'm dragging her down too. Hmm. I'm, because every time I did something, it put up that wall of separation with God that then I had to have a conversation with him in order to tear it down. And after a while, it's like, God has to get be getting tired of this. Mm -hmm. I'm freaking tired of this. Smite you. I also think when you're just making out, and you could do it, we could do it for hours, and it would be so much tension and struggle, and then, the other way way I just look I look back and I'm sorry for us is that like if we'd have just gotten it over with, we probably could have had a much more vibrant relationship, <laughs> but it actually began to completely define yeah. our relationship because it was I want to be with you, I want to I want to enjoy you relationally, not just physically. But we ha but the desire is so strong and it's right. and the rules we put in place just it it was it was torture. It was a form of torture. Well, the interesting thing again, kind of looking at this from a strictly biological standpoint, if you, if you think about what is actually happening, you're doing something that the the two human bodies are not really you know have not adapted to do, which is to just live in this foreplay place just indefinitely, right? Which is where the whole I kiss dating goodbye thing came about, which we got more into in college where it's just like, don't even do anything physical because, and that was a Christian application, was you're basically just sitting there with the end of this burnt fuse just lighting it and lighting it and lighting it and it's getting super old and it's not even that fun anymore and it feels like all the focus of your relationship is on not letting the fuse burn down to the bomb and blow up, right? Mm -hmm. And But it's just interesting to think about it in a secular context now to be like, you got these two sexually mature people who have all the equipment and all the hormones in order to then move towards a procreative act, who believe that they shouldn't do that, but are kind of just starting with this, starting in this place that naturally leads to sex, but they don't go there because of this other philosophical framework. What is that, I mean, that's, that's a hellish place to be, ultimately it, is what I'm saying. It definitely was, and then, so by, at a certain point, it 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 became this struggle became such a cornerstone of our relationship that I began to believe that 
I it was creating an insurmountable barrier. Like I couldn't confess at a rapid enough rate to to keep that wall between me and God down, and I assumed that I was doing the same for her, or that again there was consent. She was on the same page, so I she was having a similar experience it, that that defined our relationship to the point where we broke up just because we couldn't handle that anymore. And you know what it did? It absolutely broke my heart because we broke up because we were so into each other that we were doing things that that you know, were dismantling our relationships with God. It didn't it wasn't about anything that happened between us otherwise. Mm-hmm. You know, and I can I I'm I probably spiritualized it at the time and said well, you know, if I can't if I can't be someone who keeps my my standards and my boundaries and also does my part to to keep her pure as well, then I don't need to be in this. I don't need to do this to her and I don't need to do this to God. And that's the reason why we broke up. It's really tough to it's like when it's it felt like you're really in love with somebody that you and you think maybe you want to spend the rest of your life with them, but then it's like, okay, they they move away and you don't, and so you break up for some tertiary reason. Yeah, but you, it became, you didn't actually have a, um, you didn't have a normal breakup process of like realizing that you weren't right for each other. Or there was some nothing insurmountable ha- nothing conflict. Happened. It's uh, it was like a sort of emotionally stunted process because of this other factor. It consumed our relationship and just. Uh, like a wildfire, I just feel like it 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 burned us to a crisp, and so we broke up, and uh, that was probably the. And I've said this before. I feel like that's the most prolonged experience of depression that I've had in my life, except uh, for uh, parts of COVID and and lockdown. Hmm. Um, and so you can see as I. That entire experience, going into my sophomore year, and then like we broke up at the beginning of the summer before sophomore year, and then the first half of sophomore year was like this depression, and then I met Christy. And everything from that experience impacted how I would approach it. So, you know, I mean, and, and we laugh about all the things that and Christy and I can look back and we do laugh when we tell people, our kids and other people, or write about it in the Book of Mythicality, the things that we didn't do. We didn't kiss until we got engaged. Well, I wanna stop you all, there. All of that type of stuff. I wanna stuff. stop you there, just because yeah. one of the things that's hitting me, I'm gonna throw this out there to you, is that we haven't even gotten into the college experience, which was a completely different level of focus being in campus ministry. Mm-hmm. And we haven't talked about what it's like to be people who come from that environment and then get engaged and try to keep from having sex with your fiance during that. I feel like we've just crossed the hour threshold here. We're gonna go, either we're gonna go another hour and this is gonna be a two hour episode or we can make this episode a two-parter and just sex timber becomes five episodes. I think the next episode we're gonna be having the same conversation. So all of a sudden you're talking about. Well, but I think we're gonna be talking a lot about, you know, uh, when we finally had sex, our wives are gonna be talking about when they finally had sex. We're gonna be talking about parenthood. We're gonna be talking about sex within marriage. 
I mean, I listen, I think September is just too much to contain. In September? In September. I think September lives in September, but then the Q&A actually reaches out into October. I mean, I think that's what's happening. It's like the sex cannot be contained. There's just so much of it. We haven't even gotten to college. We haven't even gotten to college, and I don't wanna give that short shrift because my I, have, I gotta tell the whole reason that me and Jesse became boyfriend and girlfriend, which is largely related to the standards that I had set and how she didn't even understand them. Like, there's a lot to unpack, and I just think that you gotta give it, it, it its own pace. All right, I think that's fair. Um, so what? So what is your takeaway from 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 this because I feel like I might be saying since we have some more time now if I go back to that high school relationship I don't know there's part of me listening to myself and saying well if you'd have just put more boundaries in place like you would have a better relationship it's like you're you're not the victim here you're well, the problem I think and that's definitely what I felt at the time I strongly believe that if someone is committed to an evangelical worldview then they will use the stories that we tell to uh, reinforce their position, right? Again, our our point is not to make you question what you think, it's just we're giving you our perspective. I think that your story about your relationship where you got to this place where it became consumed by trying to hold each other, hold, hold yourselves back from each other physically to the point that you couldn't even have a real relationship and you and it literally killed your relationship. To me, like I was saying earlier, that's the reason that the whole Josh Harris, I kiss dating goodbye movement happened because it was a recognition that like, hey, the whole problem is dating. The whole problem is relationships. Like you've got these people who are, uh, you know, ready to have sex and, and everything about them is geared towards having sex with each other. You just shouldn't be in a relationship and that's where dating became a bad thing and the idea of courtship became the thing that we started talking about in the late 90s and early 2000s. It was the idea that you really shouldn't engage romantically with someone until you're in a place where that process will over a relatively short period of time actually lead to marriage and the consummation of that physical relationship. And so that's where the idea of having your parents involved and the courtship and helping you think through this and you know the whole idea of like spending time on the front porch with a girl that you might be, it's the old way of thinking about things, right? Spending time on a front porch and seeing if you and your families get along and are we right for each other and if we are right for each other, let's begin dating or let's begin courting with the idea that we're moving towards marriage and we're not. We're moving towards that physical relationship. Then we know that it's going to happen. We're getting ready to set a date really quickly, so you don't end up in this place where you're just burning the end of the fuse all the time. Mm-hmm. I, now, here's what I'll say. I think that the whole "I Kiss Dating Goodbye" movement did irreparable damage to a lot of different people. And by the way, Josh Harris recognized that and went on a whole like you know apology tour, and he since has deconstructed. And I don't know Josh, and I don't know his story, and I'm not and, speaking on his behalf. And, but he's taken the book out of print. You quit printing the book, yeah. Uh, I think, and I think a lot of people recognize that that mentality was actually not an effective way to really meet the needs of young men and women. But you understand why it happened. It happened because of the story that you just told is a story that was happening with so many young people. I mean, and there's totally different type applications. Like you hear about the. The, the back door policy where it's like, uh, we, we didn't know about. <laughs> the I, Garfunkel and Oates. 
yeah, where girls won't give the, the, they feel like they're dating a guy that they have to give him something so yeah. so they have anal sex instead of vaginal right. sex right. and then that's okay, because that's the loophole. Yeah, right. literally. <laughs> that, that was the joke in their yeah. song. Um, for, yeah, for, for putting them in a position where it's like, well, I gotta conduct this relationship and I, but I gotta be, I gotta be right before God. You know, I mean, there's all types of horror story ap applications where it's, uh, that aren't our stories. That, well, and I mean, you talk about someone who's queer and they're yeah. coming to grips with that. Which we, and, which we let me oh just God. acknowledge, we, we're we talking about all this within a very strictly heterosexual context because that's our experience. If, if you were, you know, anything other than that, going through this environment, this evangelical environment, like you, there was, there was, they weren't writing a book for you. You know, there, no one was even right. willing to talk to you about it. Like if you, if you were like, in the way that we would have said, it, struggling with same sex attraction, struggling, right? Like that's how the evangelicals framework mm -hmm. puts it, is like, that is just strictly a sin and that's a whole different thing that you gotta deal with in a different setting, whether that's like, you know, now we gotta pray the gay away or whatever. So we acknowledge that we're not talking about that, but that's a very real, and, and by the way, much more difficult experience than just trying not to screw your girlfriend. Uh, not having had that happen to me, I, I, I'm just saying, I can imagine that being in a place where your very sexual identity is not even acknowledged as anything other than a sin. Like, because the, the benefit and the privilege of being, you know, a heterosexual person in this context is like, the youth pastor would say, listen, your desire for your girlfriend is good. It is natural. And one day you will be able to consummate that physical relationship, but it only should happen in the context of marriage. So you've got to, so again, your desire is validated. Yeah. If you're queer, your desire is invalidated. Yeah. Which is a completely different amount of damage that happens uh, in, the, in the Christian context a lot of times. There were so many ways that we were spoken to in order to just, it's like, well, it was kinda like, try this analogy on. Try try the, anything that would keep you from from slipping up, you know. It was they would just invent all, well, all it's, types it's of not, things. It's not easy. And but like <laughs> I remember thinking when I was making out with my girlfriend, it's like if she's not my wife, my future. Like picture, I'm, there was like advice to picture your future partner, picture your wife of the future, and what you're what you're robbing her of by doing this now. And I was like, maybe I'll try that. This is someone's future wife. What if this was my sister? Well, I probably wouldn't be kissing her. <laughs> you know, well, I, you know, the interesting thing we'll, we'll we'll get into a couple episodes from now is that you know, this is not a problem that is only being addressed by the evangelical community, right? Yeah, we live in a culture where. Uh, again, the, the the biology is such that you basically, you know, you go through puberty at what, 12, 13, 14, and then if you if you rewind 10,000 years, at that point in like your early teenage, mid-teenage years, you're basically pairing up or maybe getting into some sort of 
polyamorous relationship. You're, you're having sex at that point, right? That's just, that, that's why the sexual maturity happens at that point because from just a pure biological standpoint, that's when you're ready to, right? But mm-hmm. cult, a, a cultural framework apart from any sort of Christian ideas has been put on top of that where it's just like, hey, you know, you definitely as a 15 year old in the year 2021, shouldn't be going out and making babies, right? Like just culturally, this is not the way that we're doing things right now. People don't get pregnant when they're 15 for a lot of really good reasons. So you have to deal with that. Like there has to be an answer to that because the answer is not do whatever the hell you want to and deal with the consequences because the consequences of sex continue to be STIs, which continue to get even more and more scary with just the way viruses and bacteria evolve but also unwanted, or just I could just say teen, I could just say pregnancy, right? Uh, so you ha- there is, there's gotta be a framework. I, just because we're not Christians anymore doesn't mean that we don't have a framework for trying to address these things personally and for our families. It's just the underlying framework changes, right? But the intention, yeah. the intention of like, we kinda want people to avoid the, these risks is sort of the, is the underlying motivation. And you just, we have experience with this very specific expression of that and all these uh, this other mess that got put on top of it, where it's like, we gotta get the, we gotta get the shame on top of this, we gotta get the guilt on top of this, and then you, you just had the, you know, I didn't have, I wasn't in a relationship at that point in my senior year it wasn't until later once we got into college and a whole new set of standards and a whole new level of accountability and transparency was put on us because we got in campus ministry that it began to impact my relationship, my relationships in college. That's what we'll talk about next time because it was a whole, it was a whole different world at that point. Yeah, yeah, so um, we'll, we'll get into college. I think you know you can see where this is going. The systems that we had in high school and we're just amped up on a on a collegiate level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the things that we put in place, the, the systems that I put in place in my dating life and with Christy and all the systems we put in place for accountability, it's just kind of mind blowing. Charts, there's charts. Charts involved. Yeah, if you're interested in charts. So yeah, I, I'm glad. Listen next I, week. I'm sorry to uh, to frustrate you to give you uh, listening blue balls, so to speak, yeah. uh, to well, push half of this to next week. It's all but part of the analogy. I don't want to give it. Sh- I don't want to give our college uh, experience short shrift because I think there's a lot to explore there. And as we keep going, I guess we're. I I, I want to fully process this. Well, we're slowly revealing. We're slow. It's just like striptease. Uh, just like a picture. Of a naked lady in 1995 being downloaded by a like a modem, 56k modem. 56k modem. We're revealing ourselves to you over time, slowly. I've got a a wreck for you. Uh, this is just another gentle nudge. I know you might roll your eyes, but you know what? It might be time to pick up that journal. Try <laughs> try journaling again. I feel like if I just had a a, a reminder every six to nine months. It's like, you know what? Why don't you try journaling again? Hmm. That's So I'm taking this wreck spot to just say, huh, you know what? Just try it. You know what? Maybe you try journaling again. I'm definitely gonna look back through my journal and experience some of this anguish as I prepare for the 
because I, I was journaling hot and heavy in uh, in college. Oh yeah. And so I'll go back to that uh, with the sex filter on hmm. and see what I can come up with. All right, keep the questions coming. Hashtag Ear Biscuits, uh, it, it extends. And I'm talking about uh, the podcast, Sex Timber, it extends. It's gonna go through October at this point, <laughs> <laughs> or into October. It's gonna penetrate October. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs>